Virginia, West by God, Virginia, and he's one of our TLTF elders, been a dear friend of mine for decades and always been a blessing to my life and especially his uh, orientation to the word of God. So he's the next exciting teacher. So take it away, Gary. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, John. God bless you. Uh, it's wonderful to be here and great to hear the word of God shared by Franco. Uh, I want to take a minute and mention something before I get into my teaching. Uh, I don't know how many of you folks have, have taken the opportunity to look at our uh, new website that Franco created. Uh, it's very packed with information, uh, a lot of teachings, a lot of, uh, of information there to bless and help believers. And especially in these last few weeks or months, uh, I have just been just been thrilled by the teachings that have come out, not only on the worldwide fellowships, but the research teachings, the Sunday teachings that are done. And I highly encourage everyone to take advantage of those because these are extraordinary times that we're living in. And I think God is at work in this ministry and there are. Uh, people who need to hear what this word of God is that we are preaching and holding forth. So please go there and take a look. Um, tonight I want to talk about something that I had titled The Answer to Anarchy. And we're going to start out in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you want to take a quick look there in your Bible. Uh, in Ephesians 6.10, the scriptures read, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I want to focus in on that word, the devil's schemes. That word schemes is in the Greek, the word methodia. It's Strong's uh, Concordance, word number 3180. And it's for a word from which we get our English word method. Uh, Strong's defines it as properly a predictable preset method used in organized evil doing. Now, this word only occurs twice in Scripture, here and in Ephesians chapter 4, where there it's in the context of the gift ministry's role in the body of Christ. So flip back to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll take a look there. Ephesians 4 and verse 11 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves 
and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, instead of being tossed to and for, it says speaking the truth in love, which I highly recommend. John Lynn did a teaching a few years ago called Truthing It, because this is about being the right kind of person, being the truth, living the truth, not just talking the truth. Instead, truthing it in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And you see that in verse 14, it says that we as immature believers, immature people, get tossed about by every wind of teaching, cunning craftiness of people in their deceptive scheming. That's that same word, methodia. And, and when I put these two together, what I see is that the devil's methods, as Franco pointed out, are deception. And since he's a spirit being, he puts these methods together, these schemes together that are promulgated by humans. People carry these schemes around and propound them. These are the doctrines that float around today. They're empty doctrines. And you may say, well, what, what kind of empty doctrine? Well, let me give you a couple of three, just very simple. Have you ever heard about the doctrine today? being propounded called gender fluidity, where, you know, it doesn't matter what your sex organ is that you were born with, that somehow you can be up to, I forgot what the latest count is, 16 different genders. That is an empty doctrine. That is not, that is a scheme, a method of deception. How about the, the idea of systematic racism? Systematic racism is another empty rhetoric that's being propounded. And the one that I want to talk about tonight is the one called anarchy. Now, anarchy has become a very popular term among the rioters and those who are out to destroy, literally destroy and take down this country. Uh, you, can, you can flip on any YouTube and, and just type in anarchists or anarchism, and you'll see loads of people talking about this. Anarchy or anarchism is simply a political philosophy that rejects all forms of hierarchy. It centers on the belief that government is both harmful and unnecessary. Today, you'll see these anarchists openly stating their beliefs and in order, they, they will say it this way. They say, well, America is flawed. In order to build a better world, we have to burn it all down and start over. Now, if you have a horribly evil government, that might not be a bad thing. But here are some things that we should always keep in mind. No human government is perfect. So then recognizing that, all governments would need to be destroyed. Jesus is also not presently ruling as our king. So any government that men create is always going to be lacking until the Lord returns. So 
this idea of no government. Well, what was God's original plan? If you were, if you heard the the teaching I did the last time I was blessed to share, I taught about the kingdom of God and how humans were created originally in the image of God, and they were tasked with royal rights and responsibilities, and those rights and responsibilities were to rule and reign over this earth. Now, to fulfill that role, humans had God as their teacher and guide. However, humanity chose instead to be their own God, to define good and evil for themselves, and therefore they were removed from their royal position in Eden. This original act was the first act of anarchy, rejecting the authority of God and taking it for themselves. So what was a good God to do with this dilemma? Well, after removing them from the garden, God set about the task of bringing human beings back into the proper relationship where he would be their king and they would be his co-rulers under his authority. This plan was culminated in Jesus Christ, the promised seed. Through Jesus Christ, God has provided a way whereby all men can be brought back into the proper relationship with God's authority in their lives. When I taught the last time, I, I gave a definition of what is the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God, that is the answer. The answer is not anarchy. The, anar the answer is not any kind of man-made government. The answer is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is simply this, God's people living under God's rule with God's blessing. That was the original plan, and that's the one that we should all seek to pledge our lives to. You know, for 950 years from the time of Abraham until King Saul, God did everything he could to show the children of Israel that he was the only government that they needed. As their king, he protected them, he led them, he provided for them, he took care of their every need. But yet the nation of Israel rejected God. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. I want to read just a couple of verses there to show you this. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, you know, I initially was going to, uh, to center this teaching around the, the book of Judges. But once I got into it, it was so vast and there was so much information, I just couldn't put it all together in a 30-minute presentation. So I'll summarize the book of Judges like this for you. Uh, the book of Judges was when the children of Israel were about to go into the promised land. They had actually started conquering it under Joshua. And Joshua had told them, he gave them two simple commands is his last word. And that was drive out the gods that are over there among the Canaanites and serve God only. And the Israelites answered, we'll serve God. They never said anything about driving out the other gods. And so what happened, they go into the land and instead of driving out the gods, they adopted them. And the book of Judges is just a, a downward spiral of how God's people, as they moved further away from God, they accepted more and more of the idolatrous ways of the people around him, those empty and vain rhetoric that leads to other gods. 
So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're going to pick it up there. And in verse 4, it says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You're old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you now. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. You see, Israel was seeking a human leader only because they had stopped trusting in God to lead them. And in a sense, that is why all human governments exist. This suggests that the governments of men are a testimony to the fallen nature of humanity and our avoidance to the rule of God in our lives. God alone had been Israel's leader up to this point. He had given them prophets to lead them. He had given judges to settle their disputes and to protect them. But he never appointed a human to rule over other humans. Humans, especially sinful humans, are simply not fit to rule over other humans. God alone is the one who should rule in the lives of men. So then this begs the question, well, should we have governments? Well, the short answer is, the only government that we should wholeheartedly recognize and obey is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But since we're not all born again and not everyone follows Christ, we are left with a, having to live under the governments of men until the day when the Lord returns and is recognized as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, the rule of God in our lives, we, we, we learn the rule of God in our lives from the Word of God and from the Spirit of God. Now, John Touchstone and I were talking about something that relates to this. Uh, he was telling me the story about um, maybe some of you saw that during the riots, uh, the city of New York, the mayor up there decided to officially paint a saying on one of the main avenues in downtown New York that says Black Lives Matter. And, you know, the the it was they made a great big deal out of this, you know, that this was was some great statement that was being made. And there was this little black lady who went out and took paint, black paint, and just dumped it all over the sign. Well, they arrested her. And as it turns out, now she's done it four times and they keep arresting her. But here's her comment. She said, the Lord told me to do that. She said that God was telling her to do that, that she was walking by the Spirit of God. So if she is obeying God, she's doing the right thing. It's just like in Acts chapter 5. Take a look there real quick. Let's look at this verse in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, you had Peter and John who had been speaking the word of God. And, and in verse 25, it says, someone came and said to the Sanhedrin, look, 
The men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain with his officers went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. See, that is the proper arrangement of humanity. It is where God is in charge, not humans. Well, then some will say, well, what about Romans 13? Well, Romans 13 informs us that God works through human governments to bring about his will. But it is not an endorsement of every human government that exists. For even the best human government will fall short of the rule of God in our lives. Take a look at Jeremiah 17. Back in the Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Son Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Jeremiah 17. It says in verse 5, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its root by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So whether the anarchists succeed or wherever they, whether they fail to destroy governments, God is still able to bless those who trust him. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to focus in on another point here. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the question is, how do we stand against these devilish methods? Well, the first thing that we need to recognize is that it says flesh and blood are not our enemy. See that? It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood is not our enemy. Our enemy is the devil and his methods and what he promotes that happens to come through humans, but the humans themselves, they're not our enemy. I'd like to read you a quote from uh, an author that some of you may be familiar with, uh, Greg Boyd. This is something he wrote that I thought was pretty interesting about his comments on Ephesians 
He said, if it has flesh and blood, it's not someone we're to be fighting against. If it has flesh and blood, it is someone we're to be fighting for. They may intend us and our nation harm. We may hate their lifestyle, their politics, their religion. But if they're human, we are commanded by God to love them. And a primary way that we fight for them is by resisting the principalities and powers that seek to oppress both them and us, including fueling the universal fallen tendency to identify people as our enemy. Our counterculture, Jesus-looking lifestyle, including our willingness to love and serve our enemies, is our warfare on behalf of them. I thought that was pretty daggone good. See, people are not our enemy. Our enemy is Satan, and we have to love people. That's what's going to make the difference, to walk in the love of God. Uh, I, I thought it was really wonderful in the, uh, I, I wrote it down here, that in the prophecy, it really spoke to me, the prophecy we heard tonight, where it's, he said he wants us to walk forth with meekness and kindness. That's how we wage war in this spiritual battle, not by getting upset, not by taking sides and declaring one person or one side bad and the other side good, but rather by walking in love. Take a look at chapter 6 of Luke. Go to Luke chapter 6. I'll read you these verses from one of Jesus' famous teachings in Luke chapter 6. In Luke 6 and in verse 27, it says, To you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So what is the answer to this anarchy that's being promoted? First and foremost, live in subjection to God and the Lord Jesus Christ, his word and his spirit first. That is our first and primary responsibility. This means that we recognize that this world at its best is still a fallen, flawed, and in many ways, a futile existence. If anarchists succeed, they can only create another human system. 
unless they commit the following Christ. Otherwise, we find ourselves warring on a human plane while our true enemy, the devil, escapes unscathed. Now, there are some governments which allow more freedoms than others. Some acknowledge God or at least claim that they acknowledge God, while others do not. We should always support and encourage any government that offers freedoms to the people to worship the true God and reject and disobey those which attempt to force any of us to live contrary to God's will. And in closing, I'd like to read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, a wonderful verse that I'm sure about everyone here is familiar with. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I urge then that first of all, petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Our goal is not to defeat anarchy. It's not to defeat any human. Our goal is to live godly and holy and not to be politically right. God bless you. I thought a storm would never come to an end. I begged you again and again to send a Disorder, reorder, over and over. Order, disorder, reorder, over and over.